We can open our Bibles up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, in chapters uh, 3 and 4, the last few weeks, we've been looking at the resurrection. Paul wrote about it extensively, and now he gives us this, uh, saying that this is a a hope that we have if we are believers. And so, here in the opening verse, he calls our body a tent. In uh, John 1, 14, it says there that Christ came and he dwelt, or the same word, it means tabernacled or tented among us. And then in Second Peter uh, 1.14, Peter there refers to his body as a tent. So we see that all throughout uh, you know, Scripture. The dictionary would say that a tent is a temporary structure one lives in. And, uh, you know, it's also of interest to me that as we're looking at this uh, passage today, Paul, as he wrote this, I'm sure it was in the back of his mind, uh, the illustrations coming from his time as a tent maker. That's what he was. Uh, he, he made tents. And so his writing, more than likely influenced by that, uh, we know in Acts 18.3 that Paul made tents the entire time that he was in Corinth. And so he, as he's writing this, that's what he was doing during the day and probably writing this in the evenings. But uh, uh, he, was, he was using something out of his own life to demonstrate a spiritual truth. And, uh, you know, I see that all throughout the Scripture. There was, there's physical things that demonstrate spiritual truths. In Hebrews 11, uh, verses 9 and 10, it talks about Abraham in the Old Testament and that he dwelt in tents. It says there that he waited for that city who had foundations, whose builder and maker is God, which is a clear allusion to heaven. So he, he something about how he lived his life out here physically was demonstrating something he believed spiritually uh, about where he was headed. And so I, I like Paul's analogy of our bodies and a tent, uh, you know, that this isn't permanent, uh, you know, and and it is, it's not. You know, Paul looked to and he believed in the coming of the Lord. First Corinthians fifteen fifty two and Second Thessalonians 4. You know, he, he goes in detail there. He, his hope was in heaven, not earth. And part of that's because of what he went through here. The trials that, that he endured as a man just living life here, trying to tell other people about Jesus. And, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of, of, uh, of issues and trials he went through. I, in my notes, I'm not real sure where I came up with this. Uh, I heard it somewhere, and I wrote it all down in a study in the past, but an older person uh, wrote this um, years ago, and it's called Silver Strands, Grace Through Aging Eyes. And it says, It was nice living in this tent when it was strong and secure, and the sun was shining and the air was warm. But Mr. Tent Maker, it's scary now. My tent is acting like it's not going to hold together. The poles seem weak. They shift with the wind. A couple of stakes have wiggled loose from the sand. Worse of all, the canvas now has a rip and no longer protects me from the beating rain or stinging flies. It's scary in here, Mr. Tent Maker. 
Last week, I was sent to the repair shop, and some repairmen tried to patch up a rip in my canvas. It didn't help much, because the patch pulled away from the edges, and it's worse now. What troubled me the most, Mr. Tentmaker, is that the repairmen didn't even seem to notice I was still in the tent. They just worked on the canvas while I sat inside cold and cried. They didn't notice me. I guess my first real question is, why did you give me such a flimsy tent? I can see by looking around that some of the other tents are much stronger and more stable than mine. Why did you give a, uh, me a tent much poorer than those around me? And what do you intend to do about it? Oh, little tent dweller, as the maker and provider of tents, I know all about you and your tent, and I love you both. I made a tent for myself once. I lived in it on your campground. My tent was vulnerable to, and some vicious attackers ripped it apart while I was still in it. It was a terrible experience, but I'll have you know they couldn't hurt me. In fact, the whole occurrence was a victory because it was that whole experience that allows me to be of help to you. Little tent dweller, I am now prepared to come and live in your tent with you. If you'll invite me in, you will learn that real security comes from my being in your tent, uh, or from my being in your tent with you. When the storms come, you can come to me and I will hold you. When the canvas rips, we'll go to the repair shop together someday, little tent dweller. When your tent will collapse, because I've only designed it to last for temporary use. And when it does, you and it will leave together. I promise not to leave you before you leave. Then, free of all that would hinder or restrict, we'll move to a new permanent home, and we can forever rejoice and be glad. And uh, I put in my notes years ago, I said this is a great little poem for little tents. So... Uh, but it goes along with first one here um, of just uh, an older person looking at their life and their t- tent or their body falling apart. And uh, this means a lot more to uh, those uh, uh, that are, are experiencing issues with their tent. It says in verse two, for in this we groan. And, you know, the older you get, if you're young, maybe you don't groan yet, but you will. Uh, but we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. And Paul mirrored this in Romans 8, verse 23, where he said, There even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And notice it doesn't say the redemption of the spirit. You know, that's an interesting thing because we say, Well, it'll all be, you know, my spirit will be good once I get to heaven. Your spirit is already renewed here. The spirit is renewed as soon as you accept Jesus Christ. It's your body that's not keeping up. And I can say that's so true. You know, I I know as I get older, um, you know, my mind still tells me I can do things that I can't do. My spirit still inside longs to do things that you, your body can no longer do. And that's just the, that's a truth for all of us. And in one way or another, as you get older, so the spirit is fine, but the body starts slowing down. The good thing about the resurrection, it's not a, a renewed spirit when you get to heaven. It's your body that's renewed. We believe as Christians, if you believe the New Testament verbatim uh, and literal, which I do, I take a literal view of these things, we are going to get a real new body. It's not just a spiritual body, an essence of one, 
You know, not a hol- you're not going to be a hologram in the sky forever. It's a real body. And when Jesus had his new body, it was real. You know, he told Thomas, you can reach out and touch me. He could eat real food. Uh, but then he could do some weird things. He could walk through walls. He could appear. He could disappear. All of those things. So it's, it's, a, it's a new drive. It's a new body. We don't know what it's going to be. The Bible tells us that, that we don't know. But yet we have all these clues. And uh, all I can say, it, is all, it all sounds really good. In our text, verse 3 says, If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So he's saying the groaning isn't because I want to be without a body. I mean, who wants to be dead? A spirit floating in the sky. Nobody wants that. It's not that we want to be further unclothed. Uh, You know, I don't want my body gone. I want it to be rebuilt. I want a new one. I want something that works better. And so he's saying that's the aim. We want to take what we have, and if we're going to get rid of this body, I want a better one. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.53, Paul says there very clearly that he wishes for a renewed body, not to be without one. And so that's part of the beliefs that we have as Christians and some of the hope that we have uh, is, is that we're going to have a new body and a, a, new, a whole new dynamic to life one of these days. Verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now that's really pretty cool. Uh, a guarantee. Ephesians 1 verse 13 and 14 it says this in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise so here it says the spirit's a guarantee and then in ephesians it says you were sealed with this uh the holy spirit and then in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22, it says there, you also, or who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the reason I bring those scriptures up is all of this points to the idea of the Holy Spirit being a guarantee. Now, what is a guarantee? Well, in the Greek, this is the same word that, you, that a banker would use um, for collateral, uh, it means down payment, you know. So uh, imagine that 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 God is purchasing you, or He's He's wanting you to know this is true, and you say, "Well, how do I know?" And He says, uh, "Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a down payment so you know that this is true." And that down payment is the Holy Spirit. So we're given the Holy Spirit that way, down deep in our hearts, as the Holy Spirit uh, puts this into you know. As I read this today. There's something down deep inside that tells me, and this is so. This is true. And it's the Holy Spirit down in, in there saying, I know for a fact, and you can know, that God is a keeper of his promises. So it's, it's a down payment. I love that. You know, one day we're not going to dwell in a tent, but a permanent home. You know, And that's what you do. If you're a tent dweller um, and you're looking for that permanent home, what do you have to do? You, you come up with a down payment. And, you know, interesting enough, we can't buy ourselves into heaven. Isn't that an interesting concept? Jesus said, I will pay. And in fact, the Bible says, I paid it all. Well, the Spirit's the down payment, and the rest is coming. 
And uh, what a God that we have. You know, any other God, they say, you pay, you do. And when you come to the Lord and you just read through texts like this, I see Jesus does it all for us. We're getting a new home, and he says, oh, don't worry, I'll make the down payment, and I'm going to prepare that place for you so that where I am there you may be also. Uh, very interesting when you tie all this together. Verse 6 says, so we, who are, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Uh, so basically what he's saying here as he ends this little section, he's saying there's only two places you're going to find Christians, uh, heaven uh, and, and, or earth currently. And, uh, you know, it's funny because Paul just told us in the last chapter, the very last verse, not to look for things that are uh, uh, seen, but to look at the things that are not seen. And I think too many Christians, including myself, we look at what we can see. We look at what's around us. We look at failing bodies, failing bank accounts, failing businesses. We look at the trials that we go through, and we get so focused on that and our eyes off of the Lord that it is, uh, it's is—it's really demoralizing to ourselves. And I think of the story uh, on the lake. They were going through the storm, the, the disciples were, and Jesus came walking out on the water, and Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on water going to the Lord. And I, that's really cool. I mean, that anybody can walk on water is amazing. Uh, Jesus did it, and Peter did it, and that's it. But he did it as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. And I, I do find that interesting that in the trial that he was in, that storm, he was walking on water as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord. You're going to move ahead even in trials if you keep your eyes on the Lord. You start looking at the water around you, and he started sinking. And I think that was just a good literal demonstration of this, of this you know, fact. We walk by faith, not by sight. Don't look around you. Don't look at the waves and the water and the trial you're walking through, but keep your eyes on scriptures like this. That's what it's here for. And uh, I have to remind myself of the same thing because you get depressed, you feel weary, you feel like throwing in the towel. Uh, it's because we're focusing too much on what's around us and not what the Spirit is. It's a guarantee. So, you know, look at it. Uh, think about it. And uh, verse 9, it says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. So we, we make knowing the Lord and pleasing the Lord our aim in life if we actually believe this stuff. Because we say to ourselves, and the Spirit confides within us, saying, It's true. You know, when you start getting down, you just go, Lord, I'm having a time with this. And the Spirit down deep inside, will he'll confirm it to you and just say, it's true. For we must all appear, verse 10 says, before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So Paul lived his life with the knowledge that he would stand before God alone one day. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded here of the parable that Jesus taught. It was called the parable of the talents. And uh, there in the Gospels, one man received ten talents, one received five, and another received one talent. And each man was responsible for what he had been given. No more, no less, just, just what you'd been given. You know what happens for me and most of you is that we think we're responsible for everything. We're not. We're responsible for, for, the, for the things that he's given us. 
What gifts did he give you? Are you using those things? What, you know, what finances did he give you? You're not responsible to give a million dollars if he's only given you a hundred. That's, that's ridiculous. But in the same light, each of us have spiritual gifts. We have physical talents. We have uh, positions in life. Are you using your position, your job, your life, uh, even in the family, you know, some of us are born men, some women. It's not your job to think uh, about doing something that the man does or something that the woman does. You know, it's not my job uh, in the home, in other words, to uh, bear the children. That's just something my wife had to do. But are you doing what God put in front of you, you see? And we're born with these talents and we're, we're gifted with the Spirit. We're put in different positions in life. And I would say, Use those things one of these days. If you believe this is true, you're going to die and you're going to open your eyes because that's what it just said in verses 6 through 8. You're going to be absent from your body one day. That is the truth. I've seen it happen many times. Uh, We have loved ones that have gone through that. Well, to be absent from your body is to be present with the Lord. If you believe that, then you need to live like it today. You need to take the things God has given you and you need to make use of it. And that's what the parable of the talents was all about. Um, you're not responsible for what he, what you haven't been given. Um, so we come on down to verse 11, knowing therefore that the, t- the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Um, so Paul says, look, I believe that God is real. Everything that he just wrote, he didn't write it for, as a fairy tale. He, write it, he you know, wrote it down because he believes it. Jesus is real. When one dies, there's a spiritual world that you're going to wake up in, and the good and the bad are judged. Now, before we come to the Lord, we basically do bad. Um, You may do what you think is right, but even that, looking back, you go, well, it's like the end of Judges. The people just did what was right in their own eyes. That's not good, though. Uh, The whole world's doing that today. They're doing what's right to them. What we as Christians do is, is we come to the Lord and then we look at our Bible and we say, but this is what God says is right, the Bible. So now we're going to start doing good. So, you know, that's, that's really what happens. And Paul is saying, I believe all this. I believe that the good and the bad will be judged one day. And so therefore, uh, people that believe in Jesus, I believe, go to heaven. Therefore, I'm going to persuade other men that this is true I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And uh, it's really a pretty simple thing. He believes in God. He persuades men and tells others about the Lord. He says, we don't commend ourselves again to you, but we give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. Uh, really that jumps out at me, who boasts in appearance and not in heart. So Paul says, I believe this. My gospel is true. Uh, there's no fancy preaching. There's no, not any of that. I just, I believe what Jesus did. Uh, Paul had a testimony. He had a time where he could say, I was the worst of sinners. I came to the Lord. Now that I'm who I am today, I'm aimed at doing good and I'm telling people about Jesus. That's simply really what Paul had to say. But then he says, but hang on a minute. There's some who boast in appearance uh-huh, and not in heart. So he's saying, this is from my heart. Others come into the ministry. In ministry, that doesn't has to be public ministry. It can be any ministry. But he says, there are some who just have an appearance that they're telling you 
the gospel, but the truth is in their heart, it's just not there. Uh, ministry, I've noticed reading through the, my Bible, that never really compelled Paul. Uh, church and religion didn't excite Paul. He says here in verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. You see, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. So Paul knew that his personal ministry to others would be totally empty if he lacked love. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 was all about. Verse uh, 1 and 2 there, he said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So in other words, in appearance, I'm really amazing. But I don't have love. I've become like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and knowledge. In other words, he can wax eloquent at the pulpit or whatever. And I have all faith that I could remove mountains, but I have not love. I am nothing. And he goes on and on throughout that chapter just saying, you know, without love, there's nothing. Because you see what you, what, back to what Paul really believes here. He believes that God so loved the world that he gave his son. And he believes that he came to a knowledge of the Lord, that it was right and true, but now he loves Jesus. It's no longer about religion. It's no longer about doing churchy looking stuff. He just loves Jesus and he's telling others about the love of Christ. And, and he realizes it's, it's without that love of Christ and that love through us, you're not going to get anywhere in your personal ministry. Um, interesting concepts to think through. It says in verse 15 that he died for all, talking about Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So he comes right down to it. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, what value is there if the grace I profess, if it leaves me unchanged? What, what good is it? Uh, we can say, I go to church, I do good stuff, but are you changed? And see, Paul knew that. If, the, if your ministry doesn't start in your own heart, minister to yourself first. If you can't get yourself <laughs> to where, you know, coming to the Lord, you are full of love with the word of God and letting the love of Christ compel you and change you, what business do you have telling anybody else about this amazing thing called the gospel? You know, so you, you, again, I go to church, I do good stuff, but are you changed? Are you a better son? Are you a better daughter? Are you a better father? Are you a better mother since having the love of Christ in your life? Are you a better person with the love of Christ compelling you? That's the question. And Paul's been saying this from the beginning of this letter, that a Christian should look different from everyone else. Um, you know, you're not just a person who has a job at a church, or you're not just a person who came to church and joined the program to serve wherever you're serving, or serving out in the world somewhere. If you don't have the love of Christ, and I've seen this happen, when you're, when you're trying to minister to others, even street ministry, and you're doing that out of a heart of combativeness, and not if it's not out of the dictates of love, it's it, it looks terrible. And I would say just quit. Go home and minister to yourself. Get your word, get your Bible, and allow your heart to melt before the Lord before you're going to be effective anywhere uh, for the Lord. Therefore, verse 16 says, From now on, 
we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So he's real simply saying Jesus was here. He walked in flesh. We knew him as a natural man, like I would know any of you uh, today. That time passed. Jesus died on the cross. He resurrected. He went to heaven. So now we know him by faith and in spirit. Paul's saying that as we look at the spirit of man, realize it's the same, the same thing is going to happen. Um, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, when you see somebody say, there's a spirit in there, and though I, I'm talking to that person live now, you know, realize there's more going on here that's going to go for eternity. And that's who at church we're trying to talk to. I'm trying to reach past your physical frame down into your very heart with the gospel. That's who you're talking to. And you want to resonate with the spirit within the man uh, or the woman. Uh, so kind of deep stuff he's talking about here. Now he says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, so he's talking about this change that Paul went through when he was a he was a bad man. He he was the, all of the Bible is full of his story, the New Testament, talking about uh, where Paul came from. He was consenting to other Christians being killed and all sorts of things. Well, he left that life, and when he and it wasn't him that decided. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He got saved. And then he started a new life. And I'll, I'll go on and tell you this, too. Look, if you're a Christian and you, you're, you're, you profess Christ today, you need to be able to look back in your life and say, this is where I came from, and now this is where I am due to Christ. If you don't have a testimony, then you probably need to, to reevaluate your walk with the Lord because we were all born sinners Anybody who comes and tells me, well, I've just always kind of been good. Like, oh, well, you don't understand your Bible because uh, the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. No, no, there's none that are righteous. No, not one. We're, 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 we're born into sin. Now, and I'll clarify it this way because some people say, well, but I was saved when I was young, so I really don't have that. There's, there's two kinds of Christians, the, the kind that are saved later in life, or those saved early in life. There is no Christians that have just always been saved, okay? So you've either, you either were saved later in life or early in life. But if you're a Christian, it's because you accepted Jesus. There's one way to heaven. So your testimony needs to reflect that. And, and look, my testimony is a little different than others. Um, I was saved when I was very young, but it wasn't my walk. It was my parents' walk. Um, you know, I, I, I was in church and did all that. So I, I I based my walk with God on my parents' walks. It wasn't my faith. I didn't come to my own walk with the Lord. I, really, I even uh, say it was two phases. When I was a teenager, I had one phase where I I came into part of my own faith, but I didn't come into more of my faith for another decade where I decided uh, more to follow the Lord. So you'll have different kinds of testimonies for sure. Um, but, but you should have one. You should have a time when you say, I, I was a sinner. I came to the Lord and now I'm walking with the Lord. And he says, look, that's what's going on in verse 17. If anyone's in Christ, you're a new creation. There's something that happened. It, it, there was a change that took place and the old things have passed away. So you'll be able to sit here today and say, yes, 
I had an old life and the old way I was, and that passed away. Now, in the Greek, this isn't passed away once and for all. It's is passing away. Because you and I both know that that old you is down in there somewhere, and it can rise up. As soon as you get away from the Lord, it, it, it just rises back up within us. Uh, so, old things are passing away. Behold, all things, and it's again, are becoming new, is, is the Greek there. So, realize you're a work in progress. So, if you're going, man, I'm failing today. I don't feel like I'm a new creation. It's okay. You're a work in progress. You're becoming new day by day. Stay in the Word. Keep your eyes on the Lord, and it's happening. He's doing the work. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So he's saying everything I've been saying. He said, I am, I am just begging you. You know, it's almost like he's reaching out through time, grabbing your shoulders and shaking you, saying, I am begging you, be reconciled to Christ. Don't you see? If you're saved, you are, your, your old self is going, your spirit's being renewed. There's a process here. Uh, he gave us the gospel in this chapter. He said Jesus came, he died on the cross, he was resurrected. Have you noticed there's a string throughout all of, of Scripture, the Old and the New Testament, it's all pointing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's because you know preachers can, can tear all of this up, and we can make a lot of fancy uh, sermons and this or that, but the gospel is boiled down to a simple phrase. God loved us, and he sent his son, and he died on the cross for our sins. And I don't know why. I can't explain it. We have to come to him as a child and just say, accept it. And, and after he, he died, that's amazing that somebody died for us. But then the power of God was demonstrated because he was buried and then he rose again. That's the hope. And just because somebody dies, and you know, a lot of people die for other people, but he resurrected. And that gives us hope. The Bible says he's the first fruits of the resurrection. And you might be listening to this today and say, that just sounds impossible. Many have said so. I would challenge you and say, what better story do you have? What better hope do you have? Because if you'll study the history of the last hundred years, every single person that's ever lived has died. That's a fact. You're going to die. I'm going to die. So where are you going to put your hope? If it's in evolution, then that means, uh, well, you're over. Uh, if it's if it's in the Creator and in God, and you realize He created, if He created the heavens and the earth, and then He, from the very onset of all of this, He had a plan to get us into heaven, then I say, well, that sounds a lot better to me. And though I can't prove it, my faith is going to be on something that brings hope. And this brings a lot of hope to me, and I hope that this is true. And I see nothing in the world to disprove it. You know, that's the other side. Like, well, I tell you what, I can't prove it. Let's just try to disprove it. I, a real neat guy, you can get a bunch of his books, uh, Josh McDowell. But look up some of his stuff. He was a, a avowed uh, individual against God, scientist, and decided to go out and, and prove all of this is wrong. You know, chapter 5 doesn't exist here. 
Jesus couldn't have come. God doesn't exist. Creation couldn't have happened. And he went out to prove that God can't exist scientifically. And as he started going through things in the Bible, he started uh, finding that uh, he can't disprove it. In fact, he started finding evidence for a bunch of the things that are in the Bible that it's true. So he, you know, did the reasonable thing that any scientist would do. He took the facts and he became a believer. So now he's on our side. And uh, interesting, you know. So I'd say, you know, test God in these things. See if you can come up with a better idea. Paul, Paul studied, and he comes up to verse 20 and says, I implore you on Christ's behalf, just accept Jesus. Just accept him and what he's, what he's done. Be reconciled to God. 4, verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that he might become the righteousness of God, or that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he did this amazing thing for us so that our slates could be clean. Every bad thing you've ever done is washed away, and now you uh, can get into heaven. So, uh, you know, since Paul believed this, he felt he had an obligation to at least tell others about Jesus' story. That's what he's saying here today. You know, if someone dies for you in our culture, we immortalize them. Uh, We build statues and we honor them in many ways. Of course, today we're tearing them all down, but we, uh, in the past, we always built statues to honor those who died before and for our country, for different people. If you believe that Jesus died for you, uh, you know, then we immortalize him. We, in our hearts, remember him. We honor him in our homes, and our lives. We simply tell others what Jesus did for us. It's really not that hard of a concept. It's unfortunate that so many churches have turned believing in Jesus into such a religious, ritualistic thing. Jesus simply wanted us to remember him. The Last Supper, that's what he said. He said, do this in remembrance of me because I'm laying my life down. Uh, he, he even said that's something that, you know, no greater thing has been done, really, uh, that, that a friend would lay his life down for a friend's. Uh, he just wanted us to remember him. And while we wait here on earth, we share Jesus with our friends, our family, uh, neighbors, anyone who comes across our path. Uh, so a very interesting, uh, very simple study, really, coming through chapter 5. And to, for me, coming through it, I'm very encouraged today just to know that this tent, it's being put off. There's something to look forward to. And you can go through this next week knowing there is hope in heaven. It's the best hope that we have as human beings on planet Earth to put our trust and our belief in Jesus. Come to him like a child, Jesus himself said, and uh, just simply believe. Uh, So read ahead in chapter 6. Paul's going to look and talk about... uh, real life you know moving forward from this he says well now don't get too excited when you go into the any kind of ministry just standing up for jesus in this world uh you're going to run into some bad days it's interesting because chapter six just doesn't sound like most of what churches will teach us about how it's just so amazing serving the lord he's he's, it's really going to just tear it apart but he's going to say there's a gem in the middle of it so read ahead and uh We'll see Paul's experience and telling other people about Jesus and uh, gain some insight there. Why don't we go to the Lord in, in uh, prayer? 
Lord, we thank you, Lord, uh, so much for your word, for your promises. And Lord, reading through this chapter, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen today those who may be weak, that you would encourage those who are down, Lord, and uh, that you would bring peace, Lord, to our country, uh, to our state, uh, to our town, Lord. Bring peace to all of those who are in need of it today. We pray that your will would always be done, Lord. Uh, It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.